0: Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 29th, 2016. Today I'm going to be talking some football, talking specifically about um, Buddy Ryan, uh, the passing of Buddy Ryan, the great uh, head coach and specifically defensive coordinator for the Super Bowl champion Chicago Bears. And um, I'm also going to be speaking a lot about uh, the NFC East. I kind of rip apart the uh, the Giants and the Redskins and the Cowboys. I don't, I don't dwell too much on the Eagles because I talk a lot about the Eagles already. Um, but I talk a lot about Buddy Ryan. I talk a lot about the NFC East this year. This is actually a, a bit of a, a snippet from um, my radio show. So you're going to hear me uh, referencing the Eagles nest. That's kind of a segment I do in my radio show. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the At the end of the podcast, you'll hear me say, all right, we're going to cut to commercial and hear uh, words from our sponsors, Voorhees Veterinary Center and Daniel M. Rosenberg and Associates. For those of you who don't know or don't listen to my radio show, those are two of my sponsors. And if you want to read between the lines, Daniel M. Rosenberg and Associates is my brother's law firm and Voorhees Veterinary Center is my father's veterinary clinic. For the record, both great places. You should check them out, VoorheesVet.com, DanielMRosenberg.com. Yeah, listen, if you are if you need a lawyer, you should definitely contact my brother. If you need a veterinarian, you should definitely contact my father. Either way, that's neither here nor there. I'm just explaining how this podcast is going to end. It's going to kind of leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. But I think I spoke um, – I said some good stuff about Buddy Ryan, and I really wanted to share it with everybody. And uh, I, I think I ripped apart the NFC East pretty well too, and I wanted to share that with everyone as well. And it's been a while since I dropped a podcast, so – um Without further ado, let's jump right into it. It's a football podcast. Um, Here we go. Okay, it is time to hop into the Eagles Nest. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles! Woo! I am going to start today's Eagles Nest with the very sad news of the passing of legendary head coach Buddy Ryan. So Buddy Ryan... Uh, many of us in Philadelphia know Buddy Ryan's name. I can tell you that me, Sam Rosenberg, uh, the first Eagles football coach that I knew of was Buddy Ryan when I was a young kid and following the Eagles. Buddy Ryan was definitely the uh, the name that stuck out. Um, you know, it took me some time to uh, to grow older and become a real fan to understand exactly who Buddy Ryan was. And how he fits into uh, you know the history of the NFL and football in general. I mean, this is a man who who wasn't just a great coach. This was a man who contributed to the game of football as a whole. Um, so listen, let's let's walk it back a little bit uh, to really appreciate the fact that we we lost Buddy Ryan uh, this week, and that is painful. Definitely an NFL legend. So. Buddy Ryan was 82 years old. He certainly um, is known for his defense. Buddy Ryan was a defensive innovator when it came to the game of football. Um, he was part of the New York Jets team. Uh, coaching staff that won Super Bowl three. He was ext- he was influential and part of the Minnesota Vikings defense, which was known as the Purple People Eaters that went to several Super Bowls. Um, he is also very well known for winning Super Bowl twenty with the Chicago Bears and being the only non-head uh, coach in the NFL to be hoisted on the shoulders of his players and carried off the field. If anybody, I'm sure most fans out there know, for those of you who don't know, Um, after the Chicago Bears won their one and only Super Bowl, uh, both Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan were hoisted on their shoulders and, uh, they were carried off the field together. It's a rather, uh, it's a really brilliant photo if you ever get a chance to take a look at that iconic photo and see, you know, exactly... Uh, what it looks like it was a breathtaking moment but um you know to talk a little bit more about Buddy Ryan's time in Chicago because we know him in Philadelphia as a head coach as as brilliant uh definitely someone who I think will forever be remembered in Philadelphia lore for what he did uh, to the Eagles defense the type of swagger that he brought to the Eagles defense but let's let's talk a little bit about his time in Chicago um, and I say this also because it wasn't that long ago. I would say maybe about three or four months ago that I watched uh, the ESPN films 30 for 30 about the 1985 Chicago Bears. It talks an awful lot about them, and specifically it discusses how Buddy Ryan was on the coaching staff uh, before Mike Ditka came aboard, and Buddy Ryan had established himself as the defensive coordinator, and when it became clear that George Hallis was going to fire the head coach, the the defense for the bears got together and wrote a handwritten letter that they delivered to the owner of the team George Hallis which specifically said we understand you're making a coaching change but we need to make it clear right now we don't want you to get rid of buddy buddy is staying he is our coach he is our he is our leader we will go to the depths of hell for him and by all means do whatever you want but do not get rid of this coach and that's exactly what George Hallis did when he hired Mike Ditka to be the head coach. He said, "Listen, Buddy Ryan is not going anywhere." And what I learned, which was rather fascinating to me, was that Ditka and Buddy Ryan—I don't think they—they they were enemies. They were by no means enemies, but they weren't exactly friends or teammates either. They were definitely kind of—they definitely were at odds at times. They had words at times. They, you know, they butted heads at times, which I think even Ditka will tell you. You know, as part of the game of football, when you get guys who are as passionate about football as, you know, coaches and football players are, you know, blood gets hot. You know, emotions get 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 hot and sometimes words are said and, you know, fists are thrown. Um, but, you know, whatever the case, it was very much a situation where Ditka said, listen, Buddy's got his defense. He can do whatever the heck he wants to do with his defense. I'm just going to leave he and his defense alone. I'm going to do what I need to do on my side of the ball that's how we're playing this. And so he pretty much left Buddy Ryan alone to run the defense. And, you know, I was listening to uh, to interviews with Ditka earlier this week, and, you know, it's no surprise, and Ditka is going to be the first one to say it, that defense is the reason they won the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, his Jim McMahon and Walter Payton, you know, make no mistake, they had a fantastic offense on that Bears team, but... They they were known for that defense, the 46 defense, which is now let's talk a little bit more about Buddy Ryan and him, and he as the innovator. This was a situation where it was very common in the NFL to be running a 4-3 defense, where you have four defensive linemen up front and you get three linebackers behind them. It's extremely traditional. In today's modern NFL, you'll see kind of um. Uh, Most teams will either run a traditional 4-3 defense or they'll run the uh, 3-4 defense, which has become more popular uh, in the last couple of decades where you have three defensive linemen up front and four linebackers behind them. Now, Buddy Ryan's 46 defense was it was innovative, but it was also, uh, you know, not only was it innovative, but part of the reason it was so successful was because Buddy had a lot of talent on that team. Mike Singletary could do just about anything he wanted on that defense. I mean, there was just some dominant, dominant defensive players on that defense, and with his 46 defense, I mean... He pretty much put about eight guys up on the line of scrimmage, and he really got the defense to a place where they were attacking. What was very common with Buddy Ryan's defense was always the attacking element of his defenses. He wasn't sitting there letting the offense dictate terms and responding to how they uh, called plays. He was sitting there saying, I want you to get after the quarterback. I want you to disrupt the quarterback's flow. I want you in the backfield. I want you, you know, getting up and getting physical with these guys every time you see them. If there's a wide receiver running his route, I want your hands on him. Get physical with him. If there's a running back who's blocking, I want you to get physical with him. All of these teams will tell you that when they played Buddy Ryan's defenses, they went home feeling it the next day. His defenses were extremely physical, and, you know, if you beat them – You definitely had to work hard to beat Buddy Ryan's defense, Uh, and that was indicative of his 46 defense, where he essentially put all of his big guys right up on the line of scrimmage, and he tried to make them just cause havoc, create chaos anywhere he could around the line of scrimmage and in the backfield, and that was definitely the core of Buddy Ryan's innovative defense, was this, this... extremely physical pass rush. This, you know, dominating of the quarterback. You know, really just getting there and disrupting every single bit of timing and disguising everything. He was very good at disguising the the defense he was going to be running. Listen, we knew he was running the 46 defense, but the real trick of it was... He would change things, you know, he would call a play, and the defense would look the same way every time. So you didn't know if they were going to be, if the secondary was going to be dropping back in coverage, or if they were coming up for a safety blitz. You had no idea, and it really, I mean, you want to talk about a mental game? You want to talk about chess on the field? I mean, Buddy Ryan was definitely one of the first people to do it. Um, so you know, he had some great years in Chicago, and of course, after winning the Super Bowl, it was no big surprise. Uh he was offered a head coaching position and he took the head coaching job with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that is where he has his own chapter in Philadelphia lore. When he comes to be the head coach of the Eagles, I believe it was um 1985. I've been I've been looking at all these numbers all day after he's passed. Um but he pretty much showed up at the Eagles, and the one thing that he did immediately was he started to transform the defense into the look of what he wanted. He made the Philadelphia Eagles, the mark of their team, was this aggressive, premier defense that was dominant and physical. And just, when you're talking about Philadelphia, which, in my mind, is a, a bit of a blue-collar town. It's hard-working people who don't have anything given to them. Everything is earned. You know, I think about Washington... Um, you know, I think about Dallas, I think about Seattle, these cities are, they're kind of, you know, they're noted and and they're known for different elements. Whereas Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Chicago, these are blue collar towns. These are hardworking people with dirty fingers that have been working their tails off and they just want to spend a little extra money at the end of the week to go see their football team win a game. So Buddy Ryan coming to Philadelphia is a match made in heaven. He brought tenacious defenses, you know, and and I can just go on and on with the names, okay? Reggie White, Jerome Brown, all right, Andre Waters, Mike Golick, like the, Herm Edwards was even on the team. I mean, these these guys were nasty, man. And let's just talk about it. The Bounty Bowl, okay? There was the Bounty Bowl where you had the situation where um I believe it was 87, and it was the strike shortened season. And Buddy Ryan went to Dallas with his, you know, replacement players, and they got abused by the Dallas, by Tom Landry and the Dallas Cowboys. And Buddy Ryan did not like that. So the next time when uh, the Cowboys came to the vet, Um, Later in the season, and Buddy Ryan had all of his players back, he put a hurtin' on that Cowboys team. And that is definitely where they get the name, the Bounty Bowl. And he was some guy who was shameless about it. He was shameless about it. He was like, go out there and knock his head off, okay? Go out there and beat those guys to a pulp. Make them earn this win. And, uh, you know, for years, he definitely showed improvement with his Eagles team. Um, You know, definitely garnered the love of the city uh, and his players. He was always known as being a player's coach, a guy who truly, truly stood up for his players, stood behind them always, always defended them. If you look throughout his, uh, you know, throughout history and uh, his time with Philadelphia, he definitely butted heads with ownership very often. And now, at the time, uh, Norman Brahman was the owner of the Eagles. This is pre-Jeffrey Lurie. You know, something you really need to understand is at that time it's only really become in the last 20 or some odd years where the value of football franchises have just exponentially skyrocketed to the point where now these are billion dollar franchises and the coaches and the players are million dollar commodities. When you're talking about the mid eighties, this was still a time when money was a little bit smaller, when the owners were really looking to pinch pennies in locations, when they're really saying, yeah, we can't afford to spend this extra million dollars here. We can't afford to spend this extra $750,000 there. And I say this because um, the owner of the team really butted heads with Buddy, and it was a problem. It was a real problem because the issue that Buddy really came up with uh, with Philadelphia was the fact that he couldn't get any wins in the playoffs. He coached for five seasons uh, with the Eagles, and of those five seasons, he went to the playoffs three times, and he was 0-3 for 3 in each playoff game, and that was really what hurt them. They had the They had the game where they actually went to Soldier Field and played his old friends, the Chicago Bears, where it was a foggy game. They couldn't even see anything with the fog. They lost that game. They ended up getting beat at home by the Redskins. I mean, just some really, really embarrassing losses in the playoffs. And that was what did him in was his zero and three record as a head coach in the playoffs. You combine that with the fact that he was pissing off ownership and, you know, he gets fired after that last season, when he lost the, the home wildcard game against the Redskins, they fired him. Mind you, the last three seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles, he had 10 wins, 11 wins, and 10 wins. When he was fired, that last season he went 10 and 6 as the eagles coach then again you know sometimes it's not about winning just ask chip kelly he uh, you know well he didn't go 10 and 6 but he was he was close enough at least um you know or marty schottenheimer remember when the san diego chargers fired marty schottenheimer after a 14 and 2 season i mean sometimes i guess it's not all about winning even though that seems to be what they always say is it's always about winning um but even that short time of Buddy Ryan being the coach in Philadelphia for five years just left an absolutely forever long-standing mark on this city. We remember Buddy Ryan, and we also remember the fact that after he left, it was a carousel of head coaches and uh, you know rotating chairs, musical chairs, nobody really per- putting anything together that was positive. I mean, really... I mean, really, until uh, until Andy Reid showed up, you know, there was a couple of promising years, but you know, it was a bit of a merry-go-round of coaches during that time after Buddy Ryan, and uh, you know, it made you feel like should we have fired him? Should we have let him go? Um, but uh, listen, that's neither here nor there. We're talking about now remembering the greatness of a guy, remembering someone who. Who cared deeply for his players, who loved his players, who was somebody who was all about loyalty and integrity, who didn't have a problem going to the owners and saying, you know what, go screw yourself, all right? You know what, we're here and we're playing football. You wanna come out here and uh, support us in this situation? By all means. But if you're not, get the hell out of my way. We're doing a job here. And um, in some regard, they don't make them that way anymore. In some regard, his children, Rex and Rob, are, are the closest embodiment of him. I mean, where do you think Rex Ryan comes up with this loud mouth that he is? And we even talk about him in today's uh, era, how, how Rex Ryan is sort of offensive and, and we don't like him. I think that more and more we kind of hold the standard as the Bill Belichick, the guy who says less, the guy who doesn't give away as much, the guy who's calm and composed in front of the reporters. And, you know, we kind of are a little bit more dismissive of the Rex Ryans, the loudmouths, the guy who calls you out. But let me tell you something. Rex Ryan might call you out, but he's also the first guy to step up and take blame. He's the first guy to say, you know what? That was on me. That was my fault. Don't you be yelling at my players. Don't you be yelling at my defense. Don't you be yelling at the at the, the special teams punt returner who muffed the punt and blew the whole game, okay? Because it's not his fault. This is a team game, and I made that decision. I take full responsibility. He got, Rex Ryan got those things from Buddy Ryan. Buddy Ryan, you know, you know, it's funny. All the all the photos you see of him, you see him as this kind of this old man doesn't have smiles all the time kind of this sort of stone looking face but I think the truth of the matter was this guy had no problems calling you out he was a thick-skinned tough old school drill sergeant type guy and um you know I think for those five years when he was head coach of the Eagles it was just a beautiful beautiful time for Eagles fans and like I said you know it's it left an impression we still remember him today and uh we will still remember him forever um so um Buddy Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much for the time you had here, for the, uh, the, the impression you left on all of our lives and for touching us and, and showing us some fantastic football here in Philadelphia. So, um, Buddy, you will be missed. Rest in peace. And um, you're the best, man. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about football. Um, let's let's embrace Buddy's loss and let's talk a little bit more about uh, the NFC East. I thought it'd be a nice opportunity to break down what's going on after um, some free agent moves. Uh, we're getting a little closer to fantasy football season. I'm a huge fantasy football player myself. I got a lot of thoughts on that. I don't think I need to be spending too much time on fantasy football now. I you know, we'll see how that pans out. I don't know how many of my fans are fantasy football players, but if you are a fantasy football player, email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com with any fantasy football questions. S M A S, S P O R T S S T A T I O N at Gmail.com. It's real easy. I want to hear your questions. I'll answer them right here on the show. I've got plenty of opinions about fantasy football, but I wanna rip apart some of the other teams in the NFC East. I want to talk about the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Redskins. What I like about them, what I don't like about them. Um I can I you know, I could go on about the Eagles, but I feel like I go on about the Eagles all the time. Uh let me give some opportunity to to talk about our enemies. Uh sometimes I like to say, you know, keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Giants. So, the Giants, I think the the part about the Giants that sort of provides a little pause is Well, they've had issues on offense and defense. From a defensive side, I think that they made some good additions with getting Olivier Vernon uh, and also Damon Harrison. These are big, hard-hitting guys, picking up Damon Harrison from the Jets, picking up Olivier Vernon from the Dolphins. I think both of them were a little overpaid. I think that tends to be an issue with Jerry Reese as the GM of the Giants. He tends to overpay free agents a little bit. I think he probably... Didn't need to give Vernon and Harrison the amount of guaranteed money that he gave them, but you know in some ways that shores up your defense and that'll but that also doesn't leave doesn't leave a lot of cap room to go around um but and i'm and i'm also i think these guys are great players, but I'm always skeptical of free agents coming to a new team there's always a little bit of a question mark as to whether they will be able to meet the same standard of play they had at their former team and I think Olivier Vernon can get there. I think he's a good enough player. I'm a little skeptical about Damon Harrison fitting in as well with the Giants as he did with the New York Jets. They were big pickups, though. Um, And I probably feel a little better about the Giants' defense than I do about their offense right now. You know, I really like them drafting Eli Apple Cornerback. He's going to help their secondary. Um, signing Janoris Jenkins. I'm a little on the fence because I don't really know how good Janoris Jenkins is. You know, I think he's a pretty darn good cornerback. I think, again, I think Jerry Reese overpaid him a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing is he played good football with the Rams, but the Rams were never really a winning team. So you start to think to yourself, you know, is his good play going to equate to wins for the Giants? And that might not be the case which is also tough because they did give him so much darn money. Um I like Jason Pierre-Paul still being on the team. Hopefully he can continue to sort of uh heal from the fireworks blowing his finger apart or his whole hand apart for that matter. Um you know, he was definitely limited a little bit last year as he came back with a with a friggin club on his on his hand. Um but I like him coming back. Uh I you know, there's still definitely holes and spots with their defense, you know, can Are they filling out their entire middle linebacker position? You know, they, they were gashed with some big touchdowns last year. You know, are these improvements in the secondary actually going to be effective? Um, it's, you know, it, it's trending upward. Um, I, I feel positive about their defense, but the offensive side of the ball, that's where you got to scratch your head a little bit because, okay, Eli Manning at quarterback, that's not a problem whatsoever, Eli is Eli, he's going to be great he's going to have all the positives of being a Manning, he'll throw some great touchdowns he'll bring them back at the end of games there'll be a couple of games where he gets out, you know, he starts out with a big lead and everything's hunky-dory and beautiful, but then he's also going to be the same Eli Manning that the Giants have known and had for several years, which is occasionally he'll have a four interception game, occasionally he will you know, throw a couple of terrible interceptions in the fourth quarter, which cause a terrible collapse, and the, you know, they'll They'll be up by 21 points, and then they'll lose the game. Uh, You know He'll have a couple of terrible, costly turnovers, and then he'll have a game where he scores five touchdowns, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, right, it's Eli Manning. Why did I ever count him out? Eli's Eli. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's where any questions are going to come from. Uh, The questions start to come from their offensive line. Because wide receiver, you got Odell Beckham Jr. ODB is a freak of nature. He's going to continue to be a freak of nature. I just see him getting better every year. Um, I, I'm sure his hair is going to be even wilder this year. Um, there is the hope of Victor Cruz coming back. So after missing an entire season um, from tearing his patellar tendon against the Eagles, uh, Victor Cruz will finally be coming back this season. Um, how good Victor Cruz will be is really going to be a question mark. Um he could be a shell of himself. He could be amazing. If he is amazing, then the Giants have certainly uh, picked up a stud um, for some for a pretty cheap price. Uh, but either way, I'm not worried about the wide receivers. Um, I'm worried about the offensive line. You know, they've really – Eric Flowers coming in at left tackle was a great pickup. Uh, you know, he was somebody they could put in right away who I thought was a positive influence on the team. And, you know, Weston Richburg played some good minutes at a, you know on the line as well. But there's just holes on their line. You know, you got John Jerry, who really wasn't helpful on the right side of the line. Uh, you know, th- 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 their offensive line has been dicey all of last year. It was dicey the year before. I mean, they're like the Eagles a little bit, where they kind of let Todd Harriman's walk. And you're sitting there going, you know, so who are you going to replace him with? And you realize, oh, we're... We're not replacing him with anyone. And it's like, well, what are you doing? Why are you, you – you just let a key offensive lineman go. Why are you not plug-and-playing somebody else at the very least? You think that this backup is just going to step in and take over where the other guy was? No, it does not work that way. Why do you think that it works that way? Um, so I have a little bit of that feeling with their offensive line. And, you know, it's 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 part of the game. You know, there's only so much money to go around. Um, you know, you got to find room everywhere. Uh, You know, Marshall Newhouse, Justin Pugh, you know, these guys, they they were playing decent, but it's still, it's still a part of the, it's still a part of the, uh, of the Giants offense that really gives me pause. And, you know, when you think of a weak offensive line, you also need to start talking about running backs having a problem as well. And the running back situation for the Giants has been pretty dicey as well. You know, they got Rashad Jennings a couple of years ago, and he's been, He's been effective, but he also has had difficulty staying healthy. And then, you know, you rotate in. Andre Williams has really been a disappointment at running back. Orleans Darkwa came in last year and played decent, but he's not really a solution at running back either. Um, And then you had Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen was probably the best option that the Giants had at running back. However he's not a three down coming out of the backfield workhorse back. He's a pass catching back. He's a guy who's going to be blocking, you know, getting a screen pass off to the left, maybe get a short little dish pass where, you know, he, uh, you know, he breaks a tackle and and rips off, you know, about 10 or 15 receiving yards. That's not, you know, Shane Vereen wasn't really brought on to be that workhorse three down back. He's a change of pace guy that's coming out of your backfield and catching passes. So you know, the, the big thing is Paul Perkins. Paul Perkins is the running back that the Giants actually drafted. You know, will he be good? Can he come in and t- and steal minutes right now? Can he come in and make an impression right now? Um, only time will tell. Uh, but those are the things they're giving me pause. Same thing with tight end. Eli Manning loves his tight end. He loves the tight end. But last year, you know, two years ago, Larry Donnell was kind of a real revelation. It was like, who is this guy? And then he has three touchdown catches against the Redskins, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, Larry Donnell, the tight end for the Giants. Larry Donnell got hurt last year, and he disappeared, and then Will Ty came in. And I really, I'm always kind of high on uh, Eli Manning's tight ends because he is a quarterback who uses the tight end. You'll notice this. Certain quarterbacks really like to take advantage of the tight end. Peyton Manning always did it. Uh, Drew Brees always did it. Of course, Tom Brady does it because... uh you know, I mean, the tight end and Gronk is almost built into that offense specifically. Um, but, you know, so certain other quarterbacks are just not, you know, they, they, listen, tight end is a quarterback's best friend. He's, you know, he's your he's your safety blanket. He's your check down guy. But some guys, they really like to feed it to the tight end, at least when it comes to the red zone, and at least when it comes to scoring touchdowns. Eli Manning has always been that type of guy, and uh, to for them to not have... A solid tight end option gives me a little pause. And, you know, I really thought that was Larry Donnell last year, but then he gets hurt. And now I'm sort of like, you know, dude, you had an opportunity to seal up this job and you, you pretty much bungled it. So the th- it's funny how uh, the the Giants offense is really the thing that kind of gives me a little pause. Then again, I wasn't impressed with the Giants team at all last year. They were really embarrassing. I think they went 6-10. and 10. You know, now they've fired Tom Coughlin. At least there's going to be a little bit of change in there. McAdoo's in there as the coach. Um, you know, it's it's. let's see how things shake out. I, I wasn't particularly impressed with a lot of Eli Manning's, you know, play. I, I think uh, his his interception rate went down. So you can give some credit to McAdoo for that. But, you know, was that enough for McAdoo to garner getting the head coaching job? I... I don't know. I mean, it's probably more a fact of Jerry Reese hiring uh, from in-house and, you know, just sort of taking a candidate that they knew who was familiar with their scheme and their system. I can appreciate that. You know, at least, you know, you know what you're getting and everybody else knows what they're getting as well. Um, All right, enough of the Giants. Let's talk about the Cowboys. So Dallas Cowboys, (laughs) Dallas Cowboys, um, their offense is great. The offense I don't see is the problem. As we've, we've, Every football fan will tell you now their offensive line is brilliant. It's probably the entire reason why DeMarco Murray was DeMarco Murray two seasons ago. Um, I mean, they're brilliant. They really are amazing. They, it's it's amazing how good their offensive line is. Um, Romo will be back. Des Bryant will be back. Uh, hopefully this year Des Bryant will get a full training camp in because last year he held out of training camp because he was trying to get a, the contract figured out. They just um, – they just drafted Ezekiel Elliott to be this workhorse running back. They've also got uh Darren McFadden and Alfred Morris. They got Run DMC, they got Alfred Morris. You know, they got Ezekiel Elliott. They've definitely got a lot of guys at the running back position who should be able to take advantage and punish defenses behind that fantastic offensive line. Tony Romo's back and healthy. I don't think Tony Romo's over the hill. I think it was unfortunate he broke his collarbone again. Yes, the injury probability is still pretty high, but I got a lot of faith that Tony Romo's going to come back and be Tony Romo all over again. Plus, they got Jason Witten. You know, they got all the Cole Beasley, Terrence Williams. They've got everybody on the offensive side of the ball. They are dangerous. The, the, The big reason I think their offense was terrible last year was just not having Romo. I mean... Romo's a good quarterback. You can say what you want. You can knock him all you want. I think Tony Romo's a good quarterback. He's had some issues in the playoffs. He's had some issues in big games. Absolutely. But you cannot deny the fact that he is an excellent quarterback and he makes the Dallas Cowboys considerably better when he is on the field versus not being on the field and having friggin' Brandon Whedon and Kellen Moore throw the football for you. The part of the Cowboys that really makes me go yeah, yeah, is the defense, okay? This defense, (laughs) my God. So the secondary, Brandon Carr. Brandon Carr has never lived up to that contract they gave him. They gave him a big contract, and he did not live up to it one bit. However, there's not many other, I mean, there's not other options out there that they can afford. They're kind of locked into Brandon Carr's contract, and they're sort of, begrudgingly dragging themselves through it. So as as disappointing as Brandon Carr has been in the backfield, or excuse me, in the secondary, um, he's going to remain there. Morris Claiborne, who was a very high draft pick and has been a disappointment ever since he entered the league. Another guy who they can't really get rid of. They're just kind of stuck with him. I think they're going to trot him back out in the secondary again. These are guys are not good defensive players. And then you start talking about Uh, DeMarcus Lawrence was really fantastic. Randy Gregory also played some good foot. Randy Gregory still got some improvement, but these are two key guys, Lawrence and Gregory, who are very, very important to their linebacking core, who are going to be suspended for the first four games of the season. So you're already starting to think like this defense is going to be getting off to a a poor start, you know, and then you got to start talking about, can Sean Lee stay healthy? Sean Lee, one of the best middle linebackers in the entire NFL. The man cannot stay healthy. No matter what he does, he always finds a way to get injured. It's just a shame. Um, but you have to give credit to Rod Marinelli, the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. This guy is a real like guru when it comes to figuring out how to get the most out of your players. He is the best at taking guys who should be bad who are underperforming who are not as good as you would want them to be and getting them to play better okay he is a master at getting players to overachieve and you know the defense last year I think they had injuries I think bringing in Greg Hardy after the domestic violence situation did not help them I mean he's a great defensive player but he is just an absolute nightmare when it comes to chemistry I mean he was saying all the wrong things to the to the press causing you know drama in the locker room I mean that was that was a bit of a gamble for the Cowboys and listen they they they're gonna eat crow for it I don't think they're bringing him back but it still starts to leave holes on their defense Um, I think the defense can regain some of the form that it had Uh, I have a like I said I have a lot of faith in Rod Marinelli um, but I do think that the defense is going to be a weak part of their, uh, you know, the weak part of their game, which is sort of funny when you think about the fact they spent the number four overall pick on a running back. I mean, that tells you, that says everything about Jerry Jones. That man, that man will be shooting from the hip till the day he dies. And hopefully it means that the Eagles can take advantage of them and the rest of the division can take advantage of them because Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin, those were some beautiful, beautiful times. But uh, last I checked, that was over 20 years ago and um Jerry Jones has found a way to really put together some terrible teams in the uh since then let's um just just look at the season Quincy Carter was the quarterback. That's all I'm going to say. Moving on to the washington Redskins or uh the Washington football franchise as a lot of uh other football commentators will discuss um okay Washington they have yet to show any type of consistency to me from a franchise standpoint. I think management there is terrible and not necessarily the general managers because they really rotate through management so often I can't keep track of who's there, but really Dan Snyder. This is truly a situation where I was mentioning earlier how Buddy Ryan had to deal with um, owners who were much more involved with the finances, the day-to-day, you know, being able to nitpick on, on expenses Maybe that's not necessarily the case with Dan Snyder and some of these other coaches, but Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder, their personalities and how they run their teams and the involvement they have with their teams really does influence how this team comes together and what it looks like. Um, Daniel Snyder, I think, makes terrible decisions from a free agent standpoint. I think he overpays all the time. I think he brings on guys after they're over the hill. Uh, I mean, he's like the New York Knicks of football, okay? You know, he's going to go and pay Albert Haynesworth a $100 million. He's going to go and give D'Angelo Hall way more money than he needs to have. He's going to go and have Andre Roberts and Pierre Garçon, but then go and pull the trigger on Deshaun Jackson just because he's out there. You know? he's that guy. You know, whereas other teams are going to sit there and be like, Deshaun Jackson is an amazing, amazing wide receiver, and it is an extremely unique opportunity that the Eagles just cut him and he's on the market, but we've got a couple other wide receivers who will do just fine, and I don't know if we need to spend that money on Deshaun Jackson. Daniel Snyder's the guy who will go out and just be like, yo, pay him. I mean, the same thing happened when they scooped up Josh Norman. So, um... The offensive side of the ball is is not a problem for the Redskins. I think that Kirk Cousins really stepped up. Uh, I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to continue to improve this season. I think he will stay at the level he was at last year because I kind of think we saw the ceiling with Kirk Cousins. Um, Jordan Reed is amazing. I think he is a fantastic tight end. He deserves the money that he got. However, I think he still has problems staying healthy, and I think that's going to be a problem for Jordan Reed throughout this season and probably the rest of his career. I love Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. They're fantastic. They're amazing wide receivers. Um, I think they'll both be gone after this season when their contracts are up. And uh, kudos to Scott McLuhan, the GM for the Redskins. He actually went out and um, drafted Josh Doxon as a, a new wide receiver. He's kind of preparing for the future, and you got to give him credit for that. One of the things I don't like on the offensive side of the ball was getting rid of Alfred Morris. I just really like Alfred Morris. I like his durability. I like his resilience. I like that he he's a hard runner. But his numbers, you know, they haven't reflected what he – I mean, his first season when he ran all over the place for, I think, 1,200 yards, you got to admit, part of that had to be with Robert Griffin III. Robert Griffin was running all over the place, and when you're trying to guard Robert Griffin, it opens up a lot of holes for Alfred Morris. So, you know, it's not a terribly big surprise that his play sort of decreased – after that initial season and uh, the Redskins cut him and Cowboys picked him up but that means that Matt Jones who I think is second year or third year running back at this point he's going to be the guy for Jay Gruden's offense he is the workhorse back in in the backfield and I don't know if I've seen enough from Matt Jones to believe that he's deserved the job as the starting back for the Redskins and so I'm a little on the fence about it. I think their offensive line is decent. It's nothing like the Cowboys, but then again, I don't think it's as bad as the Giants. The defense for the Redskins, you know, they stepped up last year and they played pretty well, but I still think that is where the problems are going to be. They've had some injury problems on defense. Um, Their pass rush was not particularly uh, pretty. You know, Chris Baker is about the only good defensive lineman they have. Everyone else after him is a bit of a question mark. Um... D'Angelo Hall is a flashy name in the secondary, but I don't think he's been nearly as good as he was, um, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, Josh Norman's going to be amazing. Josh Norman will be breathtaking, and I think he's going to be fantastic. But I don't think he's going to be the same as he was in Carolina. He's coming to a new franchise. This was not something he planned on, and I don't think players come to Washington and and do well. I don't think they show up and 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 really meet the same expectations. You know. Deshaun Jackson has played well, but he hasn't. I don't think he's really met the same expectations because he really hasn't had the same quarterback play that he had in uh, Philadelphia. And I, um, I think you can say the same for Josh Norman. You know, Josh Norman had a handful, like two or three of his first years, he was pretty forgettable in Carolina, and he had to kind of work his way back in to this season where he broke out in Pro Bowl form. I think he's still going to play at that level, but I just have this sinking feeling that the Redskins are going to figure out a way to screw it up. They're going to figure out a way to have him, you know, maybe we find out that he's really good in man-to-man and they have him play zone. You know, it might be another situation when Namdi Asamoa came to the Eagles and they just played him in the exact opposite way that he was used to playing and, uh, you know, it didn't work out for him and he was a complete bust. Um, Redskins did bring in Greg Toler, uh, you know, veteran cornerback. He'd been playing on the Colts. He's pretty good, but again, bringing in an older veteran to kind of shore up spots on your defense – I really, you know, I really see a regression this year. I do not see the Redskins winning the division again. I don't see them making the playoffs again. Um, I really am, you know, even though they brought in, like, they brought in, you know, Junior Gallette. Junior Gallette played fantastic, fantastic uh, snaps for the New Orleans Saints until they cut him after this domestic violence situation. And the Redskins signed him last year. He gets hurt in training camp. He's finally coming back this year. He's playing on a one-year deal. Junior Gallette is a tenacious player that guy's really going to help their defense but I'm still just skeptical I'm also skeptical because a lot of the games that um the Redskins won last year where they were really you know the the Kirk Cousins you like that you like that that all happened in the second half of the season and that game where he won that was like a shootout with the Buccaneers where he won the game at the you know in the closing seconds of the game you know, earlier in the season they looked pretty atrocious. And later in the season when they were winning and kind of running the table and going into the playoffs and winning the division, I mean, they were playing some pretty schlocky teams, some pretty bad teams that were not really turning any heads whatsoever. Um and not to mention they had that uh, they had that egregious loss to the Cowboys, the four and twelve Cowboys on Monday night football. When they're when they're en route to winning a division, they you know, they lay an egg against the Cowboys. That's just I mean that's 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 Washington for you. I I I feel like they're going to regress. I feel like they're going to take a step back. And you know th- those are my thoughts on that. Um, Eagles, listen. You know I could talk about the Eagles. You know I've got plenty of thoughts on the Eagles. I like what their defense is doing. I'm really excited to see what Doug Peterson's offense is going to look like. I have a lot of faith in Sam Bradford. I got a lot of faith in Jordan Matthews, Zach Ertz. You know, I'm, I'm hoping the offensive line is going to be better. I'm hoping Ryan Matthews can stay healthy this season. I'm hoping Darren Sproles is just as fantastic uh, in the special teams game and the punt return game uh, as he was last year. I'm just – I'm hoping that the, you know, Malcolm Jenkins continues to play at the level he's been playing at. You know, hope, 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 hope. Um, it's painful to say it, but I think my official call for winning the division is the Dallas Cowboys. I just – this is a team that two seasons ago, you know, was winning like 10 games and was dominating and was just kicking people's butts going into the playoffs. And the only thing that sort of turned them into this 4-12 and embarrassment last year was Romo getting hurt. And I really think they're going to kind of step back into that form this year and be nasty all over again. I think the Redskins will take a step back. I think the Giants are probably going to stay where they're at. Maybe they'll get back up to 8-8. and But I see the Eagles... I see the Eagles being like 9-7, and and I see the Cowboys being like 11-5. and So I think the Cowboys are probably going to take the division title this year. Uh, I know people out there don't want to hear it, and if you disagree with me, if you disagree with me, email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com. S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. It's real easy. If you disagree with my prediction that the hated Dallas Cowboys will win the division title next year, please email me and let me know. (sighs) Okay. That was a lot. Thank you for sitting in the Eagle's Nest with me. Let's hop on out and hear hear uh, a word from our sponsors, Voorhees Veterinary Center and Daniel M. Rosenberg and Associates.